0: Now, from the Greater St. Peter African Methodist Episcopal Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, this is the podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome again to the podcast. And I am here with just a dear, dear woman who I respect and have so much uh, admiration for. This is Frenchie Hodges. And, um, Sister Hodges is here promoting and talking about her new book called "Sug," and uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about what motivated you to write this uh, this book.
1: Well, my motivation was kind of roundabout. I didn't initially have it in mind to write a book about sug. What happened was, on the morning that I woke up after uh, Derek Chauvin had been uh, found guilty of the murder of George Floyd, I woke up and I was sitting on the side of the bed, just musing and thinking about that verdict and about that occasion. And I, I, I said aloud, well, just like Freddie, George Floyd is dead, and nobody has to ask why. But I wanted it to rhyme, and so I sat down and wrote the poem, and it stated, George Floyd is just like Freddie. George Floyd is dead, and how did he die? Nobody said. Nobody said that. How did he die? Anyway, it became a poem, and uh, once it became a poem, I thought I would, Write, inviting others to write their responses. Um, and um, I began to think about Suge who had died a similar death uh, when I was 17 and he was 17 in 1958. And so I put that in the writing prompt that I was going to write a treatment about Suge and I encouraged other readers and writers if they would write about occurrences in their communities when they were growing up that were similar, suspicious deaths, et cetera. And um, nobody responded with that writing. And I found out later that there were two people that had occurrences Um, One of them, it was a distant cousin up in Wrightsville, and um, she, I guess it was too painful to visit. And the other was a friend of mine from Detroit days who told me later that she just could not write about it. But her father had been shot in the back by a policeman three times during the 1943 riots in Detroit. And that happened before she was born. So that let me know that her father did not die. And um, anyway, she couldn't write about it. But anyway, um, I I kept wanting to write about Suge. Suge was a cousin of mine who had met an untimely death at the hands of his next door neighbor, a white family, a white man. And... I was away in college. I was not told about his death during the time of mourning. I learned about it when all the freshmen were allowed to go home at Thanksgiving. And uh, I guess my family had sought to shelter me in my first year away from home. And uh, anyway, um, I, I sort of, in a sense you might say, never really had closure about it. And so it occurred to me why not write a book about Suge and bring closure? Three of his brothers were still alive, and uh, so I started calling them. I called brother number six first. He lives in Savannah, and I interviewed him, and I let that soak in. I called a brother number five, he lives in, Alliance, Ohio, and his memories diverged greatly in certain places from the brother in Savannah. And I said, oh my, isn't that interesting? And I didn't know what to do with it. And then I called a brother who was nine years old. He was brother number seven. And he disclaimed being able to be enlightening because he says he was so young he didn't remember that much. And uh, as the time wore on, the brother in Alliance reminded the brother who was nine that he used to sleep with Shub. They had been bedmates. Mm. He had forgotten it. So I'm thinking he was traumatized. But anyway, that's how I came to write the book about Shub using the interviews with these brothers. I composed a series of treatments I call them poems, but they're really just narratives.
0: Hmm. wow interesting so let's um let's set the context a little bit. Albert Hill jr. was born on august first nineteen forty one and he died on october fifteenth nineteen fifty eight and he was shot and killed by as you say by a neighbor person who was white. Yes. And that white person never uh had any justice or was never prosecuted for that killing uh at all.
1: No. In fact, according to the uh newspaper clipping that I went to the library and went into the archives and was able to uh locate the the um uh, coroner's inquest was held the next morning, the Thursday morning this shooting happened on a Wednesday evening. That next morning, the Thursday morning, the coroner's inquest convened a jury, which heard the the happening. And upon hearing everything, because Earl Shivers is the name of the man that, the neighbor, Earl Shivers said that he observed the Negro looking in his window, and he shot him he he this is what caused him to shoot him and the jury found him acquitted him and found him not guilty hmm. so that with that well now, in that report i was uh I was curious that there was nobody there. I'm not saying that that should or could have been to speak for sure. Mm -hmm. There was nobody. And so I became his advocate.
0: So the the poem on page 17, the newspaper clipping as found poetry. Um, Could you read that? And and I think that gives us some insight to what you you were just talking about.
1: Yes. Newspaper clipping as found poetry. Lawrence Negro Killed Jury Says Justified, a verbatim reprint of the original news article in the Dublin Courier Herald, Thursday, October 16th, 1958. A coroner's jury this morning handed down a verdict that Albert Hill Jr., 17-year-old Lawrence County Negro, came to his death from gunshot wounds and that the shooting by Earl Shivers of Route 2 was justifiable homicide. The youth was killed last night when Shivers caught him looking in a window of his home on the Buckeye Road some five miles north of Dublin. Shivers spotted the Negro from one window of the house as the latter was looking in the window of another room in which Shiva's wife and daughter were sitting. Coroner B.H. Willis presided at the inquest, and Dr. John A. Bell was medical examiner. Jurors were S.B. Holmes, J.L. Thickpin, Glenn Smith, J.L. Wells, and Henry Walden, who was foreman. Deputy Sheriff Charlie Powell, reported on his investigation of the fatal shooting. Sheriff Carlos Gay said the Negro ran out of the yard, climbed the fence, and ran down the road before falling in a ditch. Deputy Powell said the weapon used was a 12-gauge shotgun. Shivers, who works as a carpenter at Warner Robbins said he had had trouble before with peeping toms. The inquest was held at Dudley's funeral home.
0: Hmm. So that's the newspaper account of what happened. And and so he was shot allegedly for looking in the window. Yes. How did you give him voice? How did you... uh, give voice to this and being his advocate. Can you point out a poem that perhaps you did that?
1: Um, I can tell you how I approached giving him voice. And that was talking to his three surviving brothers. You see, I didn't really know Suge. Suge was my cousin, my mother's nephew. And I knew him from a distance, but I didn't know what he liked to do, what his pastimes were, what his desires in life were. I didn't know, really know him. Mm-hmm. So, in talking to his brothers, I began to know him. And after I talked with them, I wrote, He was a Black Boy. What page is that on? Well, let's see. Okay. 63 years ago, page 51.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: 63 years ago, hate informed Earl Shivers to take his shotgun, go out in his yard and shoot and kill his neighbor's son. Our son, our brother, our nephew, our classmate, my cousin, 17-year-old Albert Hill Jr. Shook, we called him. May his memory rest in our hearts forever and his spirit rest in peace. 63 years ago on a Wednesday night, on the 15th of October, Albert Hill Jr. was blasted forever oblivious by his neighbor Earl Shivers and his double-barreled shotgun. Thursday morning at the coroner's inquest, The coroner's jury ruled justifiable homicide based on the Earl Shiver's statement that he had seen the black boy looking in a window of a room in his house in which sat his wife and daughter. No witness spoke for our Shug that day. Thus it is. I speak for him now. He was a handsome, dusty black boy. He had dusty boy, black boy dreams. Perhaps he dreamed of escaping the dusty fields under a grueling sun, or he dreamed of escaping the early morning call right before dawn to work and rise in the fields all day. He and his younger brothers sometimes played ball with the white boys next door. Sometimes too, he made them laugh with his jokes and riddles when they played ball those times. They laughed and cajoled with one another. Oh, he could make them laugh. He always made them all laugh. A shadow came over the camaraderie when mysteriously, the white neighbor, Earl Shivers, the father, went next door one evening to speak with Albert Junior. Shug, the 17-year-old son, Maybe the black father and mother knew the context of the white man's conference with their son, but the three surviving brothers' memories report no stress or knowing. Maybe the white daddy was unsettled by the daughter's laughing at the black boy's riddles those times. Maybe that laughter informed him, beware of that dusty black one. His charm could steal your girl. Who knows what aberration clouded the white man's mind in the Jim Crow intolerance of the South. So the black boy joked on beyond the white man's conferring and the white man fatally intercepted the black boy with a loaded double-barreled shotgun, which he discharged and emptied into Shug's body outright killed him and called it justified Mm -hmm. and the state allowed him to do it. Parenthesis, Sheriff Cosgay refused to process requested wrongful death charges against Earl Shiver, sought by the black father Albert Hill Sr., saying, Albert, you know, our a black man is not allowed to bring charges against a white man in the state of Georgia. October 16, 1958. Oh, Suge, you who died in the ditch in your 17th year, did you die in the shock of innocence as if from a bolt of lightning? Or did you know in those moments that fear and hatred killed you in the early night, kissed you lethally from those double barrels, triggered triggered by a racist, hate-filled father, steeped in age-old, unbridled, radical and raw white, right racism, turned loose and aimed at you, a black boy, who only enjoyed making the world and your comrades laugh. He was a dusty black boy, filled with dusty black boy dreams. Maybe he dreamed of escaping the early morning call to rise and shine, go to the fields and work under a hot sun all day. Maybe he dreamed what we all dreamed, to grow up, live out our lives and love one another. Mm. Thank you. And then He Was a Dusted Black Boy is that same mm-hmm. poem Amplified. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it first but when I read it to a cousin of mine Shh, in this poem be I tried to do what news people do, and that is give everybody's view, air. And so I tried to account for what may have been the view of Earl Shivers in that poem. She was angry. She said he he didn't deserve any view. And so I knew that um, that was not my view, but I wrote a poem to satisfy her view so I I wrote, rewrote it when I just read you.
0: Mm-hmm. Because in in the other poem, he was the dusty black boy. You talked about the view, and you talked about that Shiver was maybe upset because his daughter enjoyed the company of sugar maybe a little too much for, yeah. uh, for the for the times.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, see, everything that we have here is conjecture, and I point that out in the introduction very early that we do not know. But do you know that there is a body of healing to just air conjecture? Mm. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. And uh, so I was able to talk with the brothers. And, of course, we all have our prejudices and our beliefs and our what-ifs and our maybes and our conjectures. And we've had them all these years, but we never gave them air <laughs> so this allowed us to
0: give the mayor. Yeah. Did you ever en- endeavor talking to this daughter?
1: No, no, I never did. In fact, I located the eulogy, the uh, the obituary, I'm sorry, the obituary for Mr. Shivers, in which all of his surviving children were named. And I had planned to incorporate the eulogy, the obituary, in a poem and, uh, but I thought better of it because of privacy rights mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so no, uh, no, we, ne- I never sought an audience with the daughter, uh, who I probably could have found, but no, I wasn't that much of a reporter.
0: So as we close out our time here and, and it's way too brief. Give me the takeaway you'd like the audience to have for this book. The
1: takeaway. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the takeaway might be
1: summed up in the last poem
0: in this book. Sure. All right, and I'll end with that. And that this is on long. and this is on so we'll people who 63. Yeah, who have the book and listen to the podcast at the same time. So let's yeah. go page sixty three.
1: Okay. Epilogue 1999, Earl, uh, I'm sorry, Schultz's cousin-in-law cares for Mr. Shivers in his waning days. The irony of God is written with broad strokes, using humankind in ways humankind knows not of. Consider Earl Shivers the man growing old and invalid, infirm in body and presence, waning in spirit and mind, whilst Albert Hill Jr. lies dead, a moulding in a grave for 63 long, long years. There comes a time, oh my, there comes a time, when we know without fanfare, when we know without knowing what we know, all, everything and everybody has always been in the hands of God. See the wisdom, old white man lying in his bed of affliction, agreeable and malleable, smiling vacantly at the black nursing assistant who is patient and loving and kind. She loves her excellent caregiving, He thrives in her care. When he needs food, she patiently feeds him. When he is thirsty, she brings water to his lips. When he needs his hands massaged, she patiently cares for him. She helps him bathe, or she bathes him. He needs exercise, she walks with him. One day, her husband, a close relative of the deceased Shug, comes to her workstation to speak with her for a moment. Just a moment, she says, let me finish feeding Mr. Shivers. Her husband becomes alert and learns that this smiling old invalid entrusted to his wife's care is none other than Mr. Earl of days gone by. He speaks kindly to the old man. The old man just smiles. He tells the old man who he is. I am Reese Hodges' son, Kenneth, first cousin to Albert Hill, Jr. A name Mr. Earl would surely recall. No light of recognition, no attempt at recollecting the past. The old man just smiles. But the day of forgetting has come upon him, sitting gently on his shoulders, and he demonstrates memory no more of the turbulent days of yore. The irony of God is written with broad strokes, gracing humankind in ways we know not. Mm. Mm.
0: that is the takeaway. Frenchie Hodges, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Well,
1: thank you for inviting me.
0: And so until the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love. Saints, it's your faithfulness, the greater St. Peter, that enables us to do the work of the Lord. There are four ways you can give to us. First, you can use Cash App at dollar sign G-S-P-A-M-E-C. Second, you can text to give at 770-284-0771. Third, you can use Zelly by typing Greater St. Peter 9540 at yahoo.com. Fourth and finally, you can mail your contribution to 9540 Fayetteville Road Jonesboro, Georgia 30238 Thank you and blessings